Hello and welcome to the Wellness Nurse Podcast. I'm your host, Robin Taff, and on today's episode, I'm joined by Sinead Brady, also known as the Career Psychologist. In this episode, we're talking all about finding work-life balance. We talk about setting boundaries between our personal and professional lives, rewriting the story that we need to have the same career for our entire life, switching off when work and life share the same space in our home, burnout, how to approach changing your career, and so much more. As always, please send me a DM on Instagram once you've listened and let me know what you found helpful. But for now, let's get into today's episode. So Sinead, welcome to the podcast. Thanks Robin for having me. Yeah, Thanks a million for coming on. I am really looking forward to our conversation today. For everyone listening, myself and Sinead are going to talk about finding work-life balance. And I know it's something that so many of you struggle with and it's such a huge part of our well-being. And Sinead, also known as the career psychologist, I couldn't think of anyone better to (laughs) give us a bit of advice on how to find that work-life balance. So I would love to just start off by maybe talking about some of the most common challenges that you see people facing when it comes to trying to strike that work-life balance and maybe how we overcome them. Yeah, sure. So first off, work-life balance is often treated as an event. So what I mean by that is like you feel like if you get it once, you have it. But it's actually something that's ongoing and it's something that's always evolving. So work-life balance this week will look different than work-life balance last week. And next week so there's no kind of one size fits all it's also not an algorithm so there's no mathematical equation that says if 80 percent of your time is spent like this and 20 percent is spent like that then you work life balance the third thing that i think that's really useful for people to know is that how we achieve work-life balance according to research is hugely gendered so um when women um people who identify as women um or as female um negotiate let's say flexible work practices or different ways of working different working patterns during particular seasons of their life in particular caring um seasons like when they're maybe caring for their young kids or when they've just become a parent or when they're caring for somebody older that they love or a sick friend or whatever it is um they tend to negotiate flexibility and access flexibility policies in the workplace to achieve work-life balance by reducing the amount of time that they work in the paid workplace but it overall increases the amount of work time in in general. So, you know, your body, if you're working, your body and your brain doesn't know the difference between unpaid and paid work. So you know, and work-life balance um, achieved in that way is not necessarily work-life balance. That's just trading one type of work for a different type of work. So we have to kind of think about that. And when men, um, people who identify as male, um access work-life balance policies um it tends to be for work for work intensification so it actually tends to be to do more traveling it tends to be to maybe become part of a particular society within the workplace um and they will also keep up things like their soccer with the guys or you know they'll tend to kind of hold on to some of those things um but sadly, they end up intensifying their work patterns as opposed to reducing their work patterns. So the way that we navigate and negotiate work-life balance tends to be very different and achieved in different ways, 
depending on our gender. So that then opens a very different conversation for people when you kind of go into your home or you are co-parenting or parenting with somebody else, particularly in relation to work-life balance. You know, when you look within the, the parameters of your own relationships, how do you navigate work-life balance versus how the other person navigates work-life balance? And how are you recontracting and renegotiating so you both have access to time for rest relaxation and recreation I hope that helps <laughs> yes I love that and I love the what you said there about having time for rest and relaxation because I I never really thought of that aspect of like reducing work hours like I did it before in my nursing career where I reduced my work hours physically but my workload wasn't reduced and I was still spending the same amount of mental energy and sometimes physically working to compensate for that so it really didn't help it just reduce the amount of hours I was being paid for so I think that is such um, an important piece of the conversation because when you say about work-life balance like you said if we're not having that time for rest and relaxation that's the balance right that's what we need in order to actually support our well-being and to look after our mental health and and not feel like we're working 24 (laughs) 7 and feel overwhelmed as we do so so when we think about work-life balance, again, sometimes we think of it as being able to spend time, you know, on the beach with the feet up or whatever it is. And that's fine. And we all need an element of that as well. But I suppose what's really important about work-life balance is that, and I don't actually like the term work-life balance because I think it puts too much pressure on people to think about it a certain way. It's more about finding, you know, a way to integrate work and life so that you can thrive, flourish and progress in both across all seasons of life. So I suppose a really good way of looking at it is what you're doing now sustainable into the future? Um, And is the way that you're working on both your paid and unpaid work sustainable into the future? And if the answer is yes or no, you know, then you've got different decisions to make. But a really good way to think about your approach to work and life is to consider, okay, so what are your, your, your whole life is built on three pillars. It's built on the pillars of your physical well-being, your personal well-being and your professional well-being. And when you think about those three pillars, there are certain non-negotiables that sit along those pillars that actually help you to scale life um, and to survive or to thrive rather than actually survive. So and they go in that order. So I call them the three P's and they each of a kind of a set of non-negotiables. It's not another to-do list, but it's a way of looking at this going, okay, so um, from a physical perspective, what are my non-negotiables? From a personal perspective, what are my non-negotiables? And from a professional perspective, but only in that order. So many of us have the professional first and we're kind of striving all the time to hit productivity and KPIs and 100% billable hours, you know, all of those different things. And you kind of look at it and you go, actually, if I'm not well, physically, if I'm not well, I can't personally be available or professionally and if I do it's not sustainable long term so by kind of just taking it back to basics and going okay so what are my physical non-negotiables and they follow an acronym called NEST so am I nourishing myself am I exercising am I sleeping and am I spending time with people who make me smile including myself so they're just like the four little bits that we need in the physical space to actually be able to think about the personal and then to move on to the professional and they need to be in that order they're almost like a pyramid 
Right, because and our health is kind of that foundation that everything else correct. rests on. Correct. Yeah. So, like, and it's, and I, I, you know, when I'm talking about your physical non-negotiables, I'm not talking about running ultra marathons, or I'm not talking about you know that kind of Instagram version of what like exercise looks like. I'm actually just talking about movement. So you know, when you go to work, do you get the chance to go take your lunch? Do you get the chance to take a break and maybe before the end of the day, get some fresh air? Um, like, so that's actually just movement. Um, is, do you have the energy to get off a bus stop earlier or a Lewis stop earlier or park at the other side of the car park and walk? Or does that just seem like too much exertion? And if it does, then you're kind of going, okay, well, I'm actually not getting enough movement in my day. And that's just exercise. Nourishment, again, doesn't have to be cooked from scratch, foraged for, you know, and if that's your game, fine, but it doesn't. So when you think about nourishment, are you actually eating three meals a day? Um, and are you getting time for a snack? And are you drinking water? Or are you avoiding drinking water because you don't actually have the time to go to the toilet at work? Um, and that happens so often. People laugh when I say that, but the reality is that's true. Are you sleeping? And that's not like, are you getting eight hours sleep a night? Is your sleep restful? And then have you got the time and energy without feeling triggered to be around people who make you smile? Um, let that be little people, big people, friends, colleagues, whatever it is. And then have you got a little bit of time to spend with yourself? Now, you know, it's just, it sounds simple because it is, but it's really hard to do it if your pyramid is upside down. If it's always been professional first, that can be really, but it's the smallest thing that you can do, not the biggest thing. So think big and then break it down into small bite-sized chunks. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I know a lot of nurses listen to this podcast and they can relate to the whole not drinking water. So you don't yeah. have to go to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I had something that I wanted to say there. You know, then, so say if you're in, you, someone's listening to this and they're like, actually, I am working at a rate, my life is at a rate where long term, this is not sustainable for me, but they're in a job or a position where it's actually quite difficult to approach this or to even know what to do or where to start to actually create boundaries and start putting themselves first. Do you have any advice for them on, on what they can do to start navigating that? You see, that's so hard because sometimes you feel like just one more thing to do, even if you know it is the right thing to do, is too much. Um, so I do really think sometimes it's about saying, OK, is this the system that I'm part of? And if it is the system that you're part of, generally, you're not going to change a system. Um, and that's a really sad reality. So it might be that, you know, during this particular season of your life, you're beginning to think, okay, so how can I make decisions that work better for me during this particular season of my life? So it might be, as you say, reducing your work week. It might be kind of deciding and just taking the time. If you've got annual leave to take or if you've got a way to kind of maximize your annual leave, it's sitting down and going, okay, so this is where I am now. When I sit and pause and just think, what are the other options that are available to me? And is it that I can maybe use my skills elsewhere? Um, just during this particular season of life, I still want, you know, so that's, it's, it's just really, really hard. The other thing you can do is, and I know that in professions like nursing, there's a great sense of collegiality. And it's where actually you come together and say, look, this is not sustainable for any of us. 
how can we help each other? Um, and it's, and I know that's extremely hard. Like my sister-in-law is a nurse and I watch her, you know, on her off duty and she's just exhausted. She's just, and she has easily stayed, you know, the guts of an extra day at work per week, doing the admin, making sure that people are okay, making phone calls, doing all that kind of stuff. But she really wants to do that. So I get that this is not an easy task to do, but really think small, you know, the smallest thing that you can do and control that and see if within your group of colleagues, the WhatsApp group that's there or whatever, that maybe you make a decision that actually there's something that you're going to do collectively in three weeks and everybody works on that for three weeks together. So then it becomes the norm. Yeah. It's not easy. I do know that. Um, And particularly where you're like people talk about quiet quitting and all these different things but there are certain professions that like once you hit the door the notion of quiet quitting is just not possible because literally it is the difference potentially between life and death um so you know you can't just sit down and go well I'm actually only doing the bare minimum today um that's just not possible from a human perspective or from a professional perspective. So I hugely empathize. And I actually think, um, I've said this before, that the medical profession is the most overstretched, under-resourced. Um, and the people that are trying to look after our wellness are not actually been looked after. And I have mm. a huge issue with that. Yeah. And I love what you said there about kind of looking at them. I suppose zooming out and just saying right is this a systematic issue where like it's not something that I actually yeah. am going to be able to change um, yeah. and again I'm relating to this from a nursing perspective in that it's not something that we can change but I love what you said about coming together with the people you work with and even little things like supporting each other to make sure you get a break or make it like we used to try and make our handovers that little bit more efficient so you weren't stuck there until 9 p.m where you could get off at half eight when you were supposed to um and a lot of people kind of reach out to me because I did shift my career a few years ago I kind of reached that point where I was like I actually long term this is not sustainable and it was affecting my health and and everything around it and I they always asked me how I kind of transitioned and there was a phase where I was working full-time and then in my spare time I used it to kind of study and to learn new skills which did mean I took on extra and it was like a a bit of extra pressure on me but again like you said it wasn't long term it was a a phase in time that would support me and help me to gradually move away from that Um, and I know that a lot of people listening to this are not that happy in their jobs and they're kind of looking at how they can even look at changing career or how they can figure out what it is that they like do you have any advice for them if they're kind of at that point where they're like this is not something I'm ready to leave but I do not know where to start yeah of course so the first thing I would say to people is that the notion of one career for life is from a bygone era and that's something I talk a lot about in my book Total Reset like we have this world of work and the system is broken there is no doubt about that but the system is based on evidence from the 1950s during which typically men occupied the workplace and they did so in an unencumbered fashion so if they were late because they had to stay late it didn't matter there was somebody at home looking after all of the unpaid work 
that needed to be taken care of. Um, but now with dual income couples and solo parenting, single parenting, all different types of relationships and all different types of choices to either have children or not, we all still have unpaid work to do in our homes. So the first thing I would say to anybody who's thinking about their career, the way you're feeling about your career is a reflection of the society that we now live in. The notion of one job for life is not one that fits us now. And I always say, if you imagine the day that you left school, that you chose a pair of trousers, okay, a pair of jeans, let's just say, and you were told, actually, you know that, those pair of trousers that you've just picked are going to be the same pair that you're going to wear for the rest of your life. You're never going to change them again. um, And you're going to wear them despite the changes in different parts of your life, despite your weight fluctuations, despite changing trends, you're going to wear those for the rest of your life. You would think that's crazy. That's the equivalent of having one career for life. Um, and what I would say is that the skills that you have in whatever job that you're in currently, you have those skills with you. They're in your rucksack or your toolbox um, and you carry them with you. So you're never starting from scratch ever again. You are a collection of your transferable skills and the skills that you've already earned and learned in the workplace. That's the first thing. So you're not starting from scratch. You're developing in your career. Um, then the next thing is kind of sit at it and think, okay, so the piece that I didn't like before, what was it? Was it the environment that I worked in, which is a little bit around what we just talked about? Um, is it the system that I was within? Is it the organization that I was within? Is it the people that I worked with? Is it the senior colleagues that were there? Is it the wider socio cultural expectations of what it is that I do and really understand if it is the environment that you're doing your job in or your career in that you like or dislike or if there are aspects of it that you like or dislike and then sit down and kind of think okay so functionally what is it about my role that I either like or dislike and the function is the thing that makes your job your job your career your career so you know the, the thing that you do all day every day or the things that you do all day every day what is it about those the technical aspects of your job that you like or dislike and maybe it is not actually a career change that you're looking for it might actually be an industry change a role change um or you know so if it's not the function of what you do that's bothering you if it's if you actually really like that then you might be just looking at a change of environment. If it's the environment, you know, and it might be that it's stuff that you do, but you like the environment, well, then it might be about upskilling, reskilling or retraining, or it could be both. So it's really understanding that you are more than the title of your job or your career. You bring the skills with you. And then not alone do you bring the skills with you, um, you have to kind of separate the context, the environment from the function. It might be one. It might be both. And, you know, it might be just a, a, a kind of a sliver of one of them. So really begin to think in that context and then begin to look up and look out and see where you can risk free do training, upskilling, reskilling or retraining if that's necessary. I love that. I really do. Because I think, like you said, like I always remember, I so I went to college, studied nursing, qualified as a nurse. And it was like, OK, now you're a nurse. And you're working in traditional healthcare setting for the rest of your life. And why would you change? Because you've spent four years doing this course. And there was that narrative and that guilt that I associated with ever wanting to leave it. So I stayed despite being quite unhappy and despite having desire for other things and to learn and to upskill. So I love that changing the story. It's it's that story that we're living through, right? And it, yeah. it kind of so many people I know listening are probably sitting there going, well, I studied and I've 
got this far and I should stay and I can't quit now. And there's so much societal pressure to mm-hmm. stay where we are. And like how many hours do we spend of our week in work? Mm-hmm. It's not something that's a small part of your life. Your career is huge. It's it's where majority of your energy goes to. So I think that's such a great way to look at it. And then it's to reconcile as well. Like it's you're saying that's that narrative is and to reconcile it and go, okay, so this version of success for me may not be the, what other people agree with, but actually it sits well with me. So for example, nursing, education, different particular sectors have this permanent pensionable job attached to them, or at least had. And leaving that permanent pensionable job was like crazy. Like nobody did it. Um, and if you went home and told that you were leaving that permanent pensionable job, like I left a per- permanent pensionable job and like my granny who's still alive, she's 98, like the knees were worn out and the rosary beads doing decades of the rosary for me because she thought I'd lost the plot. Um, you know, and, and the reality was I hadn't because that needed to be done for me. Um, and once you understand your non-negotiables, once you understand the story of your career and your why, then you can kind of, with ease, it doesn't mean it's easy, but with a little more ease, you can say, look, this is just the right choice for me during this season of my life. I can take a career break. I can take a sabbatical. I'm not leaving. I'm making a decision. And that may not be like the possibility, but in kind of those state jobs, it tends to be a possibility and you don't ever lose. And so, you know, your entitlements to your pension or any of that, that comes with you as well. So, um, yeah, we have these kind of handcuffs as such that's attaching us to these roles and particularly for women because it's like, you know, well, sure, you get your holidays off or you get great time off or, you know, for when you have inevitably kids. But the reality is that not everybody wants children. Not everybody will be in the position to have children. And let's kind of step back a little bit and go, no, actually, we are this generation, like we're a generation of of, of people who are changing what it means to work, who are changing what it means to have a career. And we're in this liminal phase, this kind of phase that's between two identities where we're moving and melting into different scenarios. Like we're in the middle of um, probably the fifth industrial revolution um, and everything is going to change about how we work, where we work, why we work. It is currently changing, but it's going to change beyond what we can recognize in the, in the very near future. And um let's kind of go, yeah, no, what I did when I was 17 no longer fits me comfortably, just like the pair of jeans may not. And I'm making a decision to change those jeans or change this for this chapter of my life during this season of my life. I can go back to it if I so wish. But Mm. for now, I'm pausing. Yeah. And that was something I used to give myself permission to leave traditional nursing. I was like, I have the skills, I have the qualification, I have a job that I can go back to in 10 years time, in five years time, but I don't have to stay with it right now. And that kind of helped me shift how I was looking at it. Um, And I also remember even while I was working, I had kind of started that transition where I was trying to move away from it. Um, But like everyone, I couldn't just quit. I needed to continue to work and, and gradually move in. And I remember coming home one evening and you know, when you start just feeling kind of deflated and a bit stuck in your work and it was just I wasn't getting anything out of it and I remember reading um I don't know what book I was reading but it was talking about the importance of your environment and being able to grow within your environment and if you kind of reach I always visualize like a plant if a plant reaches the amount of growth it can have in that one pot it needs to expand into a bigger one and so that day I sat down I was like 
okay, I'm just not getting, I'm not feeling like I'm growing or learning. I've been doing the same things for a while and I would love to learn new things and have new skills. But I was able to do that within my current job. So I went on, I just did a little bit of extra um, professional development. And I, I was trying to find ways that I could have new skills just for that bit more of an enjoyment part of my work while I was doing that transition. And I found that really helpful as well. Yeah, and, and that's, you were in this phase where you needed stretch or you needed engagement or you needed more. Um, and, and you did the right thing. So you looked up and you kind of scanned and saw what you could do in a risk-free way within your current environment. And for other people to achieve that, they'll actually need time away. So they'll need to emotionally disconnect. So embedding or investing more in that particular career may actually be the opposite to what they need. Um, so it's it's very important that there's no one size fits all on this. And you know, your career, your definition of success during each season of your life will, should and could change um, multiple times. And you're usually connected to somebody else as well. You know, so it might be your employer. There's a connection there in relationship to what you can do, who you can do it with. And then there's other people in your life as well, whether that's a partner, whether it's friends, family. And like your kind of conversations are dependent on and your decisions are depending on the quality of conversations that you're having with those. And you're always negotiating, navigating and re-navigating structures of your work and your life. So really kind of it, it it does require a bit of like self-reflection and um but at the same time not been hard on yourself because if you are within an environment or a system that is broken we are so often thought that the problem is us and we need to be fixed so then you kind of get these resilience trainings and you get the you know how to do this and how to do that and then you know you get the lunch and learns and 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 you look at it and I as a as a, as a as a practicing researching psychologist, like they are red flags um in any workplace where you have to do resilience training. Not to, uh, you know, there that's not about you. That's actually about getting more out of you in an already broken system. Um so don't feel that you need to be fixed. You don't need to be fixed. The system is the issue. So it's about going, you know, and that's really hard to do. But when you hear it, there's almost a relief in it going, actually, there's no amount of bananas in the canteen or resilience training or yoga at lunchtime or anything like that that will actually help me here because the system is the issue, not me. Yeah, that's quite freeing, isn't mm. it? To, to look at it that way and it's the permission mindset that you mentioned Robin like you know so permission mindset is permission to yourself from yourself to question with curiosity the rules that exist about how you should perform your career and when you activate your permission mindset you're going okay so this is where I'm at what else where else who else how else and you're activating your permission mindset going, well, who made this rule that I have to stay in this job for the rest of my life that was the ultimate retention strategy you know, when we didn't have enough people to fuel the system. Um, but who said I have to stay? What rule? Who benefits from this rule? Am I benefiting from this rule? No. So I'm activating my permission mindset and I'm going to choose to break this rule with curiosity in a way that works for me during this season of my life. And you did that beautifully. And I know the people listening are loving that as well because, yeah, like we said, it is so freeing. Um, I wanted to ask you as well, since covid and lockdowns and the whole introduction to working from home 
it has also brought it's brought with it brought with it more freedom but also sharing the same life and workspace it is really difficult to disconnect and to separate your life do you have any advice for anyone who might be working half the week in an office and at home and is really struggling to create that balance and that separation so first of all, I'm nodding furiously here because um, <laughs> when I'm in, with organization or working with people, this is something I come up across all of the time. So, and I suppose, again, this is not your fault. Um, learning to switch off from work is a skill we have never been taught. Um, and if you think about it, even from when you went to school, you went to school and you kind of hoovered up some food when you come home and you were taught to go back and do more work in the form of your homework. So we were never thought that home was a place to switch off, to rest, recuperate and relax. We were thought, go home, hoover food, and then go back and do more of the same again for however long it takes to complete it. Um, And that scales in intensity as you go through the schooling system. So while working from home is new, the notion of switching off from work is not new and we've never been taught that skill. So a really useful way of figuring out how to do it is to have what is called a cognitive triggers routine. And a cognitive triggers routine is a psychological bridge that paves the path between work and non-work aspects of your life. And it involves a routine that starts in the morning and ends at the end of the day. So first off, it requires some element of fresh air and bright lights onto your eyes first thing in the morning because that helps you to trigger your brain to switch on to the day but it also helps later on in the day about 12 hours later to trigger sleep hormones and so on so get that and a bit of fresh air like even if it means walking around your garden or going out onto the footpath and just kind of maybe doing the bit of commute that you normally would have had to the bus stop or whatever it is grabbing coffee and coming back into your space where you work have a box or a bag or something that you push your work equipment into. So, you know, not everybody has a a space at home that's separate for the office or whatever. Many people are working from their bedrooms still. So um, have a space that you can, you know, you work from, but make sure that you're able to take visibly away the different things that you use for work. So have a box or a bag to put them into and to cover them or lift them physically out of that space so that they're not triggering you constantly at the end of the day. Um, have at the As you come to the end of the day, there are certain things that you can do. The end of the day, do a completed list. So five minutes before you're due to finish work, do a completed list. I know somebody that I was doing with this in a session in workplaces was that she called it her ta-da list. So at the end of the day, she went, ta-da! <laughs> it was her like, I completed this today. <laughs> And what you didn't complete today, just have it ready for the next morning and go, well, what's my priority for tomorrow morning? And this will be in front of me tomorrow. It won't be gone, but it'll be there. And the cognitive triggers routine then is the opposite of what you did in the morning. So as you leave your space, you pack up everything, put it away, and then you go back outside and you get that light onto your eyes. You get the fresh air. But another really important part of it is actually if you can wash your hands um, in cold running water from the on the like the wrist up, that actually helps to calm the vagal vasal system and just cold running water over it brings the body temperature down, helps you to relax. Um, and as you wash your hands, just say, right, I'm starting to prepare myself for moving from work to non-work activities. 
another great way to do it is actually to touch the um, door frame as you enter into your kitchen or wherever it is and say, now I'm giving myself permission to switch off from work and on to the other parts of my life and switch the music or switch whatever you're listening to on your radio. So say there's a certain radio station that you listen to when you're um, working or certain music, have a different type of music for, or a different type of podcast for when you're switching off from work. So you're developing these three or four habits that are attached to switching off from work. And as you do that, repeat them. This will take about six weeks to make a difference, but you will begin to slowly, you know, um, regain control over that time. If you can, try to ignore the phone, silence the WhatsApp group. That's what I was just going to say, the notifications. Yeah, silence the WhatsApp group, turn off your emails. Any workplace that expects you continuously to be in communication outside of work hours, that for me is a red flag of a toxic work environment. There is nothing so urgent in any organisation that requires you to be, unless you're on call and you know that, um, to respond to an email within five or 10 minutes or before the return to work the following day. That's a big red flag. Yeah. And I know that's something that a lot of people struggle with is that pressure that if their computer is in the next room or their laptop is there, they should answer it. And it's it's an expectation now that there's there's more flexibility that they should be sure. Why not just jump on and, and answer the email or why not do this? and Why not do that? But it's also a case of like, psychologically, if you're continuously answering the notifications, you, you're not, you don't get that switch off from work, right? So you're just constantly in that work mode. Absolutely. And, and once you don't get the opportunity to switch off, your brain doesn't actually rest. Like you may be sitting on your couch doing it and you may be physically resting, but rest is more than physical rest. It is actually engaging in recreation. So when I talk about recreation, um, the actual word recreation means to recreate. So when you do an act of recreation, the focus is on physically and psychologically recreating yourself. So let that be a walk, let that be a run, let that be dance, let that be a chat with a friend. You mightn't feel like going to do it, but when you've it done, you feel the better for having done it. Um, and it's about recreating. So you have to have some rest, you have to have some relaxation, but you also need recreation. And while you might be resting on the couch, responding to the messages, you're not actually engaged in an act of recreation and you need recreation to sleep and to engage with people around you. Yeah, absolutely. And this kind of ties in with my next question um, for anyone listening who is self-employed, who has their own business, who is freelance or whatever, to navigate finding the line between work and personal life. I, myself and my husband are self-employed and it is something that we regularly struggle with. The feeling like you always have to answer customers, feeling like if you're sitting on the couch and you have ideas, okay, I need to go into the laptop for a few minutes and, and write this down. There's there's always something to do, always. Mm -hmm. And to how do we start to create that boundary and that it's like, okay, I've done enough for today. I don't need to continue doing any more. Yeah, so I think a really good piece of advice that I picked up from somebody was if you do a high impact and a high income task per day in as a self-employed person, it's actually okay to to settle down. 
And your brain thinking is really normal. So I would, instead of going to the laptop, if you really need to, keep a pen and paper beside you and actually write it down rather than turning the laptop back on. The other thing I would say to you is it is okay not to always respond. I'm self-employed, my husband is self-employed. And as we are having this conversation, I have an email responder up or an out of office up that says I'm working on two big projects for two clients at the moment. And I am not, I'm reading my emails on Mondays and Fridays. I will respond to your emails on those days. If it is urgent, please phone. Um, so, and, and the people that I work with, I mean, that's what I'm teaching organizations. So if I don't live that, it's just lip service and they don't take me seriously. So um, the organizations that I'm working with, I'm in long-term partnerships with and they see that, they respect it. Um, so I think there's a two-way piece around this. It's a bit like coming back to the, the socio-culture narrative and it's going like, why should we expect this constant return? Um, and this constant switch on of you have to be back and every email you're cc'd on or every email that kind of hits your inbox is an expectation that it be returned within 48 hours is a very reasonable amount of time to respond to an email um, and sometimes if it's not urgent or it just requires a thank you or a thumbs up there's actually no need to respond to that at all yeah oh absolutely and i feel like as well like it, it, it is crossing over into what we were already talking about, about the obviously having your separate workspace, if you can, a place where you do your, your, your tasks or whatever. But I also find that when I moved from working for someone to working for myself and I helped my husband with his business as well, that I was br- trying to bring forward this new freedom with my working hours and that they were changing. It wasn't going to be the same as my nursing job. But I also held that expectation on myself where if I wasn't working from nine to five, I would be like, I'm not doing enough. And I feel guilty for not being productive enough. But then I could be teaching like this evening. I have sessions all evening, but I would pressure myself into starting work at nine and then probably wouldn't finish until 9 p.m. So as a reminder, like to actually you can leave behind that structured nine to Mm -hmm. five set hours because you don't have set hours a lot of the time. It, it, It is often quite different. And I think that's a really nice way of putting it. Like your work pattern has shifted, just like your perspective on what you're doing has shifted. So your work patterns are different to suit this season of your life um, and to suit the business that you're currently in. So when other people are starting their work day, you're actually in non-work mode. And when other people are finishing their work day, you're flipping in to work mode. So um or paid work mode. So um it's it's about kind of again the permission mindset and it's going okay so how am I going to manage this what am I going to give myself permission to challenge the rules around and then how am I going to reconcile that with myself and perhaps other people as well because sometimes you you know you feel the raised eyebrow as oh you know out and about again you have a great time type of thing you know yeah lots Um, of great time there yeah Mm. yeah 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 and that's not the reality Mm. yeah absolutely and as we come to the end the one thing I really wanted to ask you was do you have any tips for anyone who's trying to manage their stress and avoid burnout at the moment they're kind of in that highly stressed place stuck in that cycle of pressure and just feeling overwhelmed do you have any advice for them to help manage that to support their health while they maybe explore what what's right for them next 
So overwhelm is different from burnout. And I think we have to be really careful on that. So overwhelm and exhaustion will typically be, you'll, you, you'll recover from that with some good sleep and some rest. So you might need to activate and get your annual leave and use your annual leave. If you've got extra annual leave to use, don't bank it up for something else. Like if you're feeling like this now, your best option is rest. It is time off. It is rest. And it is just, and that is the hardest thing to do. I was in that cycle for a very long time and I didn't want to take time off because I was afraid that it was a sign of weakness, but actually it's a sign of strength where you go and you say, okay, I'm now going to take my annual leave. I'm going to take two days off and I'm going to make the weekend a really long weekend or whatever it is. And I'm going to rest. I'm going to actively do low impact things. So I'm going to step back. And, you know, if you normally are cooking all the time, you're going to step back and go, no, we're going to have some takeaways. Or if you're always, you know, maybe exercising, you're going to step back. No, no, instead of three sessions, I'm going to do two sessions. I'm choosing low impact and I'm going to fuel myself, nourish myself. And I'm going to recreate myself in these in these three or four days or whatever it is. If you are in the territory where that rest doesn't actually help you, if you're not recovering, then you're in burnout territory where you're not actually able to recover, where you're crying a lot, where maybe you're stressed a lot, you're much more snappy than you used to be and sleep doesn't help you recover. Then that's a medical issue and you need to speak to a clinical practitioner. Um, it might be your GP to get sick leave, whatever it is, you need to treat that as something because real burnout is really difficult to recover from once you get into that space. And it takes a multidisciplinary approach to help. So if you can avoid that, do everything in your power to avoid that and take the time before you actually need it. It can be the hardest thing to do, but the most important thing to do. And um, if you are, be really honest with your GP, be, and, and it's okay to say, you know, I'm feeling at a tipping point here and I feel like I could do with some extra time. Um, and that's not been in any way disingenuous. That's just telling how you're feeling. Um, and don't be afraid to ask for help. Because again, it can come with almost shame when we have to ask for yeah. a break or even admit to ourselves where we're like, I actually am not okay. I actually cannot do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think as well, burnout for years, um, I experienced burnout once as a nurse towards kind of the end of my career. I didn't really know it was burnout. I just was crying. And anytime someone spoke to me, I'd cry like that wasn't sleeping. My mental health was really affected, but I didn't know what it was. I was just, and I had that attitude of like, oh, well, it's fine. Just get on with it. Like you'd be grand power in a through. few days. Yeah, power through. Just keep going. You're fine. And it's like, no, you can't keep going. Like this, this is happening because you keep going when you actually yes. need that rest and you need that break. Yeah. Um. So for yeah. anyone listening to, there's nothing to be ashamed about if you if you're at that point nothing and the other thing like it can be less clear to see um is things like your nails are breaking your hair could be falling out your skin is breaking out your cycle is impacted maybe your cycle is very long or very short and it could have your cycle could have changed again i i'm not qualified to speak to that but they are they are warning signs trigger signs um that you really are entering your your weight is fluctuating all at the time um they're all warning signs that something is not quite right yeah and also what you said about relationships as well and that if you're again I would be like oh I'm so cranky all the time I keep snapping for no reason why can't I get my shit together and stop being so moody and 
but again it was like but I tried and anytime I just couldn't help it it just kind of came out and your tolerance is you feel like you've such less tolerance for so much life stuff yeah like I would be sitting beside my husband in the evening time and like everything that he did from the way he drank his tea to how he opened the wrapper of the chocolate annoyed me like yeah I was like how dare you breathe beside me type of thing and like he was just been a normal human sitting beside me and I was just distracted and triggered by like how he crossed his legs or put his feet up on the couch and god you know and and the way he described it was like he said I saw your sparkle was disappearing but I didn't know how to help so I didn't know what was happening he didn't know what was happening and um you know um and I was really like ready to particularly at different times of the month to to fight with him over the simplest of things um so yeah there are things that can be real telltale signs like you said you're just triggered all of the time yeah yeah and I love that you're kind of helping build that awareness as well and before we finish up I also want to talk about your new book because I know that everyone listening has got so much out of this and um again sometimes I think our career well I know for myself I can kind of just go on autopilot about it but I love the idea of having these conversations and being more intentional about it and taking the steps to learn. Um, so could you tell us a little bit about your book? And I'll obviously share links and everything for everyone underneath if they, they want to have a read. Thanks a million. Yeah, so the book is called Total Reset. How to quit living to work and start working. Sorry, how to quit working to live and start living to work. Um, and it's 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 about resetting our relationship with our career and really understanding the skills that we need. So it breaks down, it's broken into three parts. The first is called perspective. And that looks at, you know, these myths that our careers and our work is often built on and helps us to understand that you're not the problem. I'm not the problem. Often it is these stories that we've been told that are the problem. And then when you understand that a lot of these myths are driving behaviors and driving decisions, it's about resetting your relationship with your career. So in the next two parts, um, um, reset is the second part. And it looks at, you know, little 60 second exercises that you can do to understand the story of your career so far, the skills that you've built, and then how you can use that information, the third part called success, to design your own version of success. So it's very practical, it's evidence-led, and the idea is that it helps you to manage your career um, rather than, your career happening to you you feel in a position of agency and while we don't always have complete agency in our careers nobody has complete agency in our careers because let's be honest our jobs are there and we want meaning from them but we also need to put food on the table and keep a roof over our head so um it, it looks at it from that context um and it's an enjoyable read it has hit number five in the best selling list um which Amazing. is yeah so which is fabulous so um first first time author and um at number five in the in the best selling list so thrilled with that and yeah it's helping lots of people to have better conversations their careers in their work and in their homes and in their relationships brilliant it sounds amazing and I love that it's nearly like helping people kind of get back into the driver's seat and taking yes. their power back a bit with with their career and it's such a like we said at the start it's such a huge part of our wellness like our, our career and the amount of time we spend and work has such a big impact. So thank you so much. Um, I'm going to list um, your Instagram handle and I'll put the name of the book in the show notes for anyone who wants to buy it. But Sinead, thank you so much. That was so, so helpful. 
Not at all, Robin. Delighted. So that is it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. I hope you found it helpful. And I have left Sinead's details, her Instagram, the name of her book in the notes below. So do check that out. And I will chat to you in next week's episode.